Welcome to Poems for People Who Hate Poetry, with your host, Kirk Barbera. Everyday Conversations with Life-Altering Poems. We always hear that dreaming is good. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. You know, the, Napoleon Hill said that desire is the starting point of all achievement. And that's true, of course. You know, whatever the mind can, can conceive and believe, it can achieve. One of the values of reading lots of poetry and literature is it really teaches you to focus on every single word, the importance of words. And Napoleon Hill did not mince words here. But pay attention to what he's saying. Whatever the mind can conceive, what's capable of conceiving and believe, it can achieve. Now, he didn't say it will achieve. It can achieve it. It's possible. I think that's actually even stretching it a little bit. But there's some truth to that, right? Walt Disney said, all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Don't give up on your dreams or your dreams will give up on you. So we hear all this stuff about the importance of dreaming. Got to dream, 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 dream. Great. But why are there so many dreamers who fail? Did, are these dreamers merely people who don't work at their dreams? I don't think that that's true. I think there are a lot of us who dream and don't ever achieve it. And I think that sometimes part of that is how we feel about how we feel we achieve it. I'm going to read another poem from Edgar Allan Poe because it's October and I feel like that's Poe's month. And this is a poem about a dreamer going out, taking action, fighting the world, and trying to achieve his dream. And you're going to see what happens to him. And we'll have a little bit of a conversation about the animating power of dreams, because dreams are very powerful. We need to have dreams. I would never say you shouldn't have dreams, but there's a dark, a deep darkness to dreams. In the last podcast episode, The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, he had a quote that goes like this, deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, Dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. Now, in the context of the poem, he's looking out into the hallway after hearing a tapping in the, in the hallway, and he doesn't see anything, and he's kind of at a loss for his loved one who has died. But that phrase, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. So some of this in this context has to do, in the context of the raven, has to do with the um, horror fears that this guy is feeling at this moment that maybe he's being haunted by a ghost or something. But there's an element of that, you know, if you take that in a, an, the emotion of that and apply that even to a work goal, sometimes you can dream no more, you know, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream. That does, there is a negative element to that. What if you're dreaming about something so horrible it doesn't ever work out, or so grand it can never be possible. Yes, you could dream big, but you could also dream so big that you don't ever achieve it, and it doesn't ever happen. Or maybe you have the wrong dream. Or maybe you're dreaming about the wrong, you know, achieving it in the wrong method. There's so many ways to go wrong. Dreaming is not enough. So let's read a poem by Edgar Allan Poe called El Dorado. This is one of my favorite poems, and I hope you really enjoyed it. It's very, very short and then afterwards, we'll have a little bit of a short conversation with the poem and talk about 
what does El Dorado represent? Why should we dream? How should we dream? You know, what is this uh, Poe trying to tell us? Because I think no matter what you do in life, if you're if you dream at all on whatever level that you dream, if you dream, then you have probably experienced this feeling that Poe is experiencing uh, in in the poem. So we'll talk a little bit about that. The only word you may need to know to understand the poem, because I think the poem, all the words are pretty simple, but the word you need to know is bedight, B-E-D-I-G-H-T. The poem begins, gaily bedight, a gallant knight in sunshine and in shadow. So what that means, gaily bedight, you know, is happily, obviously, you know, energized, he's exercised, he's ready to go, he's trained, and he's ready to go on his journey, his quest. And bedight simply means his uh, adornment, his suit of armor. You know, he's he's got his horse all um, uh, layered out with with the equipment. So he's bedighted. He's ready ready to go with all of his equipment. So gaily bedighted, gallant knight. So it's basically this gallant knight. You know, the, it's a poem about a gallant knight who goes out into in search of El Dorado. And then you'll hear a little bit. And again, this is a very short poem. Uh, you know, probably like a minute to read. And you'll we'll talk a little bit about it afterward. So stick around for El Dorado. Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow, had journeyed long, singing a song, in search of El Dorado. But he grew old, this knight so bold, and o'er his heart a shadow fell, as he found no spot of ground that looked like El Dorado. And as his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim's shadow. Shadow, said he, where can it be, this land of El Dorado? Over the mountain of the moon, down the valley of shadow, ride, ride boldly, the shade replied. If you seek for El Dorado. So let's have a little bit of a conversation with this very interesting piece. Um, And then I want to tell you a quick story about Ed Catmull and how he had a good dream and a bad dream and how the bad dream had to be changed in order to lead to his success. And you'll find out a little bit about who he is, but I guarantee you know who he is, even if you don't know who he is. So the poem, Alderado, starts gaily bedight to gallant night in sunshine and in shadow. So we got a guy like the rest of us who go out there into the world, right? He's a gallant knight like all of us. A knightess, and he is going on a long journey. Where is he going? In search of El Dorado. And he starts off, as many of us do when we start off a new endeavor, and I'm sure you've tried this, you, you launch a website, you start a podcast, you, write, you start writing a book, you start a business, you start a sales job, you start a new job, any job, but you, you start training for a new job. And when you begin something that you're excited about, that you're dreaming about, that you've always wanted to do, or that you've, you've told yourself that you've always wanted to do, whether it's true or not is a different story. And you say, and, and you're often excited, you're often happy, you're singing, you're whistling, you're ready to go. But then, but he grew old, this night so bold, 
and over his heart a shadow fell as he found no spot of ground that looked like El Dorado. Now, what's going on in this case, of course, with um, the night growing old is time has passed. Now, unfortunately for a lot of us, time can be a week or a month. In this case, the um, emphasis on is on old. The, the night grew, the K-N-I-G-H-T, he grew old. So, you know, we could imagine 20, 30, 40 years passing that he, uh, at least that's how I imagine it, that, that now he's growing old. And that means that he's been in search of this land of El Dorado for all his life. He's now old. He's, um, you know, and he's getting a shadow follow, falling over his heart. Now, you've probably experienced something like that where you begin to doubt, you know, the, uh, think about that, that quote by Edgar Allan Poe, Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. So, again, this is the shadow of doubt. This is that thing of that's going to happen whenever you start something new, no matter who you are. Now, how you get out of that is kind of beyond the scope of this podcast and the show, but we could talk about it in another show. But it does happen, and it's important to acknowledge that it will happen. And that's one of the great things I think about this poem is it gives you a song, a, a paean to that, you know, reality. And then by facing that reality, that's part of what makes you a knight, what makes you strong, what makes you, makes you bold. So, and as his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow. So right as he's going to the end of his ropes, right as he's about to quit or he's about to collapse or he's about to whatever... He meets a pilgrim shadow. So basically just a stranger. But it's not a full stranger. You know, it's, it's not a, a, someone who knows him, who's, who's close to him. It's a pilgrim shadow. And then the man, the knight, asks, Shadow, said he, where can it be, this land of El Dorado? And then the shadow replies, Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow, ride Ride boldly, the shade replied, if you seek for El Dorado. So in other words, it's about the searching, the journey. That's what it's all about. That's what it has to be about. You may never actually achieve that end goal that you wanted. One of the things I I found very interesting in doing some research about El Dorado is that all the, the, the initial explorers they were they were animated by this this myth by this dream by this outlandish tale of a land of gold and that made all these guys like balboa uh, who was the first person to step foot on the first you know a european to step foot in the pacific and it it had all these guys animated to go out in search of el dorado and they never found it but instead they mapped out south america so the point is, and this I think is an important lesson to learn about dreams and in reading the biographies of important, famous, successful individuals, is that they are often people who are deeply, uh, deep dreamers, but they're also able to strategically maneuver and change that dream or alter it to fit the times. So to take Edgar Allan Poe, I think he's a very interesting case. He wrote this poem. He's obviously, you know, feeling very negative about dreaming. 
And he was a constant uh, failure in his own eyes. He didn't succeed at a lot of things. And, you know, uh, whether that's true or not is difficult to say because he was often given a magazine to be the editor of, but then he started drinking and then it just destroyed his chances and the numbers and the subscriptions, you know, floundered. And that was that. So in a sense, he was self-sabotaging himself. But he always had this feeling, if you read a lot of his poems, a lot of his literature, he has this feeling like he's not achieving the dream that he had. He's not living up to his full potential. He's not getting there. And that's part of the problem of living forever in a fantasy and trying to achieve a fantasy. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't dream. So to give you another example, a book I really love and recommend is called Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmull. Now, this book is about how Ed Catmull, who is the founder and president of uh, Pixar Animations and the president of Disney Animations, how he developed into one of the greatest managers of the 20th century and 21st century. You know, when he went to Disney, because Disney, basically after the Lion King, there was about like a 17-year lull, and they eventually hired uh, Ed Catmull to be the president of Disney Animation to kind of help pump blood into Disney. And that was a, a tall tale, but eventually you get, you know, Princess and the Frog, which was okay, but then you get like Tangled and Frozen and, you know, basically this resurgence. And that was because of the way that Ed Catmull managed creatives. He had learned to do that from uh, his time, you know, starting and, and getting going with Pixar. Now, the, the challenging thing here and what is interesting about his story is that when he was younger, his goal was his dream was simply to be the greatest animator in the world. That was what he wanted. But as he grew up, as he learned, he shifted that he, he went out and he studied computer animate or computer programming. He learned from computer scientists. He read about things of, of going on in the world around him. And he started to realize, "Eh, I'm probably not going to be the greatest animator in the world. I am decent at it, but there are a lot of people who are just way more naturally talented at it. That's called self-awareness. And that's a very important trait that this poem doesn't talk about. But I think if you look at what dreaming does and the problem with this night is he's going out on this journey to find Eldorado and he should ask if he's even good enough to fight it, if it's even the right dream to have for him. Because just because everyone has a dream of getting this magical land of El Dorado doesn't mean it's the dream for you. Ed Catmull had a dream of being the best animator in the world, but then he met you know people like John Lasseter who were vastly superior. And so he had to ask himself, is, do I want to be a mediocre animator or do I want to go after something you know, really audacious? So what he ended up doing was he started learning about science, computer technologies of that time. And this was in the 70s. And he... Uh, went to school for this, for computer science. And he, in the 70s, was one of the first people to animate uh, on a computer a human hand. And what he eventually or quickly did in the 70s is he altered his dream. And he changed his dream. His Eldorado was no longer an Eldorado for 
uh, you know, becoming the greatest animator in the history of the world, you know, working for Disney and being famous or something like that in the Disney world. Instead, he decided that he wanted to make the first feature length film done completely on a computer. This guy did all of his actions for the next 30 years or so, 20, 25 years. Now, what that meant was that when he had the opportunity to be a, a Disney Imagineer and be a, on a high level within Disney, an industry or a company that he truly, truly loved, he turned it down flat. Why? Because it didn't help him make the, great, the first feature-length animated film done completely on a film. Uh, excuse me, on a computer. What That was his guiding El Dorado. It was very different than this vague to be the best uh, animator in the world, which is measured by other people, I might note. It's measured by, well, am I better than that person? Is he better than me? And so it's a constant desire to be better and beat people and compete with people. Instead, he developed uh, his own clearly defined El Dorado. And I think this is incredibly important when it comes to you know, building your dreams, when it comes to thinking about your dreams. And that's what El Dorado, I think, can teach us. El Dorado is a vague myth, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't dream. Okay, so what happens next with Ed Catmull? So he is taking computer classes. He finds out that there's this guy, George Lucas, who has, uh, after Star Wars, he has created this uh, department for computer graphics, and he's trying to grow the department. So he grows it, and then uh, he hires Ed Catmull, and this is where Ed Catmull meets a recently fired Disney animator, John Lasseter. Now, here these guys... You know, Ed Catmull kind of tells him his dream. John Lasseter has, what do you know, been working on something similar. He actually got fired from Disney for telling them that they should start working on computer animated movies because that's going to be the future. So these guys start to mingle. They start to hang out. They start to talk. Now what happens? So they start to work on the George Lucas department. George Lucas gets in a divorce. He has to sell that department. Who buys it? Steve Jobs. Now, Steve Jobs buys it because, and this is, I believe is in the early 80s, because a man or because John Lasseter and Ed Catmull created a an animated movie, a movie done completely on computers. So remember, Steve Jobs' whole mission, his whole life vision, his whole dream of the world was to create computers for everybody, to to have computers be more accessible and applicable and usable by everyone. And here he went to a conference and he saw this computer animated short film about a lamp and his son called Luxor Jr. And it made him cry. It was so moving. This is one of Jan, John Lasseter's legitimate skills. He wasn't uh, the computer guy as much as Ed Catmull was. He had some computer, he, computer skills, but he, he was the animator. And he was able to bring pathos, beauty, you know, uh, to move people's emotions with just a lamp and a with two lamps and a ball on a computer. So this very basic, you know, uh, computer animated short story was uh, something that uh, jo- uh, excuse me, Steve Jobs saw and fell in love with this 
and he bought the company and he floated the company for a decade, even while he was bleeding cash and he almost went bankrupt because he believed in the El Dorado, the dream so much because Ed Catmull and John Lasseter believed in the dream so much and they fought for it and they worked. And even though they, you know, Steve Jobs was losing money, he almost had to sell it and he kept trying to protect his people and build this company that they called Pixar and he kept fighting for it. And they made a little movie about some toys that came to life. And then in 1995, they released Toy Story. They released Toy Story and it was a huge hit. And ever since there with Monsters Inc. and every single movie that they've made, it Pixar has launched a number one hit every time. Now, here's what's interesting in the book Creativity Inc. Creativity Inc. was written because after in 1995, after Ed Catmull had achieved his dream, the question was: well, what's the next dream? Because like, what am I going to do? Just die? He was only like in his 50s or 40s or something like that. I think he was in his late 40s. So he had a lot of productive life left in him and he, he loves his work. So what was he going to do? Just give up? You know, he had achieved what he wanted to. No, he altered his dream. He expanded his dream from making the first animated film, um, first film made on a computer, completely animated. And he altered it to what goes on and what makes great companies get so successful that they collapse? And how can you build a creative company that stays creative, that stays successful, and that does this hit factory? So he developed you know, and, and looked into the invisible forces that stand in the way of creativity because he was dedicated more. It was not just creating an animated film on a computer. It was also just that he loved stories and he loved computers. And that was the marriage of them. Once he had accomplished the one audacious El Dorado goal dream of making that animated film on a computer, the next dream was how can you keep doing that? How can you build a company that busts out hit after hit after hit, which is why Disney hired him to be the president of Disney animations because they needed to learn that trick. (laughs) They needed to learn how to do that. And he helped them. He was glad to help them. And the world is better off for it or or kids are better off for it. I don't know if parents are better off with all those frozen songs screamed in their ear. I was teaching at the time and man, those kids would not stop singing those songs. But it was a good movie. It was, you know, an enlightening and heartening movie. So the point is, find an El Dorado, but be cautioned by El Dorado. So this poem by Poe is very, very dark. You got this knight that's going out into the world, and he never finds El Dorado, and he's just, you know, searching for something that doesn't exist. But that's because the dream was illegitimate. It was vague. He should have altered course. He should have found Miami instead of El Dorado, which is what a lot of people did. You know, they go after El Dorado and then they find Miami and they settle for that. And, you know, people like Columbus are hated for doing stuff like that. Like they were going out for one thing, but and then they achieved something else and they charted a course. That's something that we don't talk about with Columbus is, you know, lots of people had gone to the Americas, but nobody had charted a course the way that he did. But anyway, the, the point is that it's important to have a very clearly defined dream. Notice the difference between the vagueness of to be the best animator in the world and to produce the first 
feature length film done completely on a computer. That's a very specific, but still audacious goal. And it's concrete. You know when it's accomplished. So that's a really important part about dreams. And I I hope that when you read this, when you're at your darkest moments, when you want to give up when it comes to dreams, that this is uh, a poem that shows you that it's important to be animated, to be bold, to be audacious, but that you need to have the cautionary tale of you are, are you on the right path? And how do you start asking that questions? Well, when you begin to become that knight, when you feel what the knight felt at the end of his life, well, it's maybe time to reconsider. Okay, so that's another poem for people who hate poetry. And I hope that you see the practical application of poetry that, you know, and I don't want this to be just about the message of poetry. That's not what this is about. Although I do focus on that, of course, but I want you to also hear the poems gaily bedight a gallant knight. There's something, you know, heroic and, you know, in the rhythm that he's doing it that really makes it powerful in building your emotional repertoire. That's what poems can really do for you. So we'll do some more of these and we'll explore more poems in the future. My name is Kirk Barbera and you can reach me at kirkbarbera at gmail.com or Kirk J. Barbera on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Medium, all those things. And hit me up and tell me a poem that you'd like me to um, converse with or you know, a poem that you have always hated. Maybe you like it now and we'll talk about it and you know, kind of share some of our thoughts. All right. So have a great day and I'll talk to you next time.